Let me ask you first, we'll talk more broadly in a minute, but let me ask you first specifically about the matter of hostage rescues as a practical matter. I have a feeling this may be one of the very biggest parts of this in the next 24, 48 hours. How possible, um, you know, what you could say broadly about procedures. Certainly. Um, this is a very unprecedented situation. Israel has never, never dealt with uh, such an issue before. It's either been an outright conventional war, an asymmetrical civil uprising, urban warfare, you know, uh, preemptive operations or standalone hostage situations. And here we have everything going on at once on all fronts. Um, the subject of hostage rescue is a very, uh, very complex one. Um, I was actually uh, in charge of the hostage rescue section at our uh, Special Forces Counter-Terrorist School, so it's a very uh, intimate subject for me. We have uh, two categories that we divide hostage rescue into. Uh, the first one is hostage rescue in what we call domestic or friendly terrain, um, where it's within our borders, it's within an environment that we know, that we control, and that we really don't have to be concerned with any other um, issues that come from the environment. We can be focused in on just the actual target itself, which generally is a uh, enclosed area where uh, hostage takers have uh, barricaded themselves with the hostages. The second one that we have is a subject of hostage rescue in hostile or foreign environments. Um, very, very sensitive, very, very complicated um, uh, scenario to negotiate. Uh, you have to enter surreptitiously, quietly, and not let your presence be known. Uh, the moment that you initiate the actual rescue, your presence generally will be known. And then you're dealing with the hornet's nest being opened up uh, on the periphery and the surrounding and the environment. And you've got a whole different uh, application of warfare that gets um, implemented. So we're dealing with those both of those situations, but we also have a different kind of uh, subsect to it as well. Um, the onset of the conflict had uh, about a thousand uh, Palestinian terrorists that uh, breached the border, started roaming around uh, to different towns, uh, breaking into homes and taking families hostage. Um, you know, either two, uh, two terrorists into groups of up to four to five, taking families and holding them, um, murdering family members and taking the live ones to Gaza or murdering family members and holding um, the remainder of the family um, captive within the confines of the apartments or the homes. You also had um, those were isolated situations. And we had what we refer to as kind of mass hostage situations where these terrorists would enter enclosed uh, towns or communities, um, kibbutzes, and they would take uh, a mass group of hostages and hold them in one place or within the confines of the uh, community, the town itself, they would have a massive group of terrorists in one area and then uh, terrorists would hold, uh, sorry, hostages in one area. And then terrorists would also take, uh, you know, um, uh, isolated hostages to different parts or hold them in different parts of that uh, environment. So our responding forces had to deal with the uh, uh, issue of, you know, the, the, the mass crowd of hostages in one location, plus in that in confines, that environment, um, uh, isolated, independent hostage situations. So to begin with, procedural wise, the uh, proposition of a hostage rescue operation is extremely, extremely sensitive and very complicated. It is all based on intelligence. Um, without the proper intelligence, you are going off of a lot of luck. You're applying a lot of very surgical tactics very quickly, and you're hoping that you can identify uh, you know, the terrorists and take them out before they can uh, turn on the hostages. 
but everything is predicated on the proper intelligence driving the operation. So it generally takes a long time. So it takes hours before a green light is given or sometimes days even before a green light is given for the takeover uh, unit to enter the, uh, the the venue and attempt the operation. This entire time is spent collecting all the intelligence. Here we have a situation where intelligence has to be collected on the go in the field. Um, and that makes it very, very complicated. Uh, so there's not, there's really not much margin for error when you're talking about uh, rescuing hostages. You really have to know how many terrorists you're dealing with, how many hostages, where everybody is situated in the actual target zone, the type of weaponry, are there ambushes that are set up? Uh, Palestinian terrorists uh, like uh, you know Hamas and Hezbollah alike, they are very big on explosives and on setting up ambushes for our uh, troops when they attempt the actual rescues. And these are things that you have to try to determine, of course. Um, so uh, that is some of the complexities that we're dealing with. And of course, right now, uh, we're still dealing, our forces are still dealing with isolating and neutralizing the problem within the border, um, trying to you know, make sure that they've eradicated, located and eradicated all the terrorists that are still roving around or hiding. Um, at that point, they will have to then control the border, close it off, reinforce it, and only then can attention be put onto the operation within Gaza, which is going to be a very complicated one um, on all fronts, especially on the uh, issue of trying to rescue the 200 hostages that have been taken to Gaza. If, as it seems, you know, this is not an airplane or an embassy or a camp, most likely, this is, as you suggested, two, three, four people, and maybe, you know, 20, 25 different places. How much does that complicate any kind of rescue effort individually or collectively it complicates it tremendously because the issue as well as resources yeah. we have um specialized units in the idf uh, well in all of israel they're designated for hostage rescue we have uh, actually five units three that belong to the idf we have one that belongs to our border police and uh, one that belongs to our prison service the units um, that belong to the IDF are responsible for hostage rescue operations within Israel, as well as um, outside the borders of Israel. And the police is responsible for anything within domestically within the uh, the borders. Um, and so, right there, you already have you know a limited amount of of personnel and resources to deal with complicated hostage situations. And now we're talking about multiple um, hostage situations spread around a a vast geography. So the uh, the backup to that are what we call our intervention units. These are highly uh, specialized units that have counter-terror capabilities and qualifications. And their responsibility is first responders. They arrive on the scene, they isolate everything, they collect the intelligence to hand over to the primary takeover units as they arrive. And the takeover units will then make a plan of action that will encompass 60 to 80 operators and snipers and dogs and bomb techs and helicopters and negotiators every single resource if something happens before a full plan of action is put into place and can be initiated and there's a requirement for an emergency intervention the uh, engagement units the intervention units are the ones that are responsible for taking over and they're working off of very limited um uh very limited um uh you know resources themselves so the first issue that comes to uh, play here is the vast limitations of all the resources. Everybody is spread out everywhere. Um, and, you know, the specialties that are required to deal with a specific hostage rescue operation are not uh, are not available um, at this uh, at this stage. 
what's it like to go in on one of these? Most people can't imagine. I'd say 99.5% of people can't imagine. You've got terrorists who have even today avowed that they're ready to kill hostages. You know, you've got possible booby traps. You've got maybe crying children you're trying to get out of there. It's uh, it's very nerve wracking. It definitely plays on your nerve. Um, you know, the one thing that I will say is that every single person that I've served with, operated with, uh, deployed with, that I've trained, all the recruits I was responsible for training, the one thing that they all have at the forefront is the mission to keep our country and our citizens safe. And you can see that through and through in them. That is all that drives them long before the thoughts of their own safety, going home to their families. And even right now, as everything is unfolding, and I'm speaking to all of my teammates and my colleagues that are in the field, that spirit is what's driving everybody. It's really to take back the country and save uh, our people on all fronts. You know, So you don't think about the, the risks. Those are inherent. They're there, and you know that. We have already sustained... Uh, a heavy toll of losses uh, on on uh, the side of our soldiers and our police officers are responding to all these events. And it's uh, it's hard. There's a lot of tears, you know, momentarily that come up between you trying to communicate and, and get a grasp of what's going on. Um, but then everybody is you're back on track. Everybody's back on track with the mission at hand. Talk to me about intelligence first. It's you think about intelligence, you think about spies, you think about terrorists, you think about rockets and missiles, uh, you know, and infiltrations and so forth. I don't think anybody has ever conceived of hang gliding and plucking people out, teenagers out of a music festival. How would you ever think to prevent something like that? You're not talking about a flight simulator or a terrorist school. It's so low tech. 100%. This is what's mind-boggling. And I can tell you right now that the number one question that we've all been asking ourselves and each other is how in the world was this possible? There's no way that something of this magnitude goes undetected, is not on the radar at some point in time, uh, especially with the intelligence um, you know, capabilities that we have inside Gaza, inside the West Bank and some of our other surrounding neighbors. So what we do know so far, information that has been released, uh, is that this event has been planned for about a year. Um, and all the training and preps were being done in Iran. And that's uh, how they were able to avoid getting themselves on the, on the radar. Um, uh, if you look at even the videos that Hamas has released of the initial incursion, the initial attack, you can, you can see for those that come from the business, you can see the uh, strategies that they employed. A barrage of hundreds of rockets were getting fired. Um, that will not only occupy a lot of all the radar systems and the, uh, you know, the, the, the countermeasures, the technological countermeasures that are uh, in place, it also overwhelms the communication system, it overwhelms the response systems and it sends everybody into bunkers. So everybody's heads were, were covered. And while that was going on, that is where they hit the, uh, the fences. They had shape charges, explosive shape charges to blow open the, uh, the fences. They had bulldozers to take down uh, the, uh, the border fence. Um, and under the cover of the actual rockets flying, the paragliders were, were landing in. Very primitive, something that inherently should have been very simple to identify and to, to counter. And we have a massive, massive intelligence failure on our hands with this, something that definitely has to be accounted for and answered once the dust settles. When you say accounted for, do you believe like even high level heads might roll or should? Should. Yes. I'm telling you that as a, as a soldier of, uh, of Israel, hundred percent sure there, there's no excuse for this. No excuse. I'm, I'm you know, 
can't wait to find out what the uh, what the answers were and what the uh, causes were. I mean, the country's been in a mess politically and a lot of things going on in Israel. There's always a lot of things going on um, at once. The country gets overwhelmed, um, you know, but uh, but still this we know that the existence of our enemies that surround us on all fronts, their sole purpose of their existence is to annihilate us. And so there's no excuse for our intelligence, our intelligence and our, you know, radar systems. I'll use the term figuratively to ever be down for a moment. Last question. I, I am happy that I can't get into the mind of a terrorist, but it's difficult to fathom any sort of Hamas end game. This seems like a colossal kamikaze attack because, you know, you're, they, they invited the hammer down. The hammer is obviously going to follow. But what do they have for sort of a figurative horrific second act there can't be much behind this so what has the, have they tried to achieve you know um they're not they're not a population with brains and with much to live for and this is why they do what they do it's very rudimentary they've been brainwashed they believe the nonsense that they believe and uh, their sole purpose in life is the annihilation of the state of israel and uh, the jewish people even if they were given even if they were given a big chunk of land in their own country, this would never end. Um, you know, uh, there's a quote that I just heard today. There's many great, wonderful quotes that summarize everything. Today's quote that I just learned uh, today um, was that uh, Israel uses its missiles to protect its people and Hamas, the Palestinians, use their uh, people to protect their missiles. Um, go figure. Try to rationalize that. You can't. You can't. They will put bombs on their kids. They will do everything just for the sake of trying to score what they perceive as a point on their perverted objective here. Any normal person, any normal person from any culture, any race, any religion, any country could never fathom doing the things that, uh, that they do. And that's something that we still grapple with. You know, how do you stop by an enemy like that? Yeah. Do you wish you were back in service there? I'm getting ready to get on a plane uh, by the end of this week. Are you going? Yeah. How does it yes. work? So you're you're in the are you in the reserve? Yes. So you would you basically and I, I your, volunteer. Yeah, you I basically volunteer. Yes. You and like it sounds like a three hundred other three hundred thousand others, right? Would you do your same sort of work or? A hundred percent. Yes. Okay. I will go join my unit, the counter terror unit. If not my unit, then uh, some other operational unit. But in the field is where I definitely need to be and want to be. 